Welcome to America's most livable city. Please ignore the invisibles with me. See Pittsburgh, we built its economy, but we still lead the nation in black poverty. Welcome to America's most livable city. Just ignore the invisibles with me. The state of your business, consider the place you live in depends on your race and privilege. Hey there. What's up, everybody? Welcome to What Black Pittsburgh Needs to Know. I'm having audio issues, so my colleagues may uh, grab me up every now and then if if we're having challenges. But uh, it is good to see everybody. It's been two weeks since we were on the air. Uh, I am joined, of course, by Jasiri X, who is the head of One Hood Media, and Dr. Jamil Bay with the Urban Kind Institute. We're going to be talking about critical race theory all today and education and uh, how the whole idea of talking about race and um, inclusion and everything else is becoming demonized uh, in order to to uh, secure white supremacy. I mean, I, that's pretty much what it is. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into the detail later. But folks are trying to hold their place in history in spite of what is actually happening. And so we're going to have a wonderful guest, Dr. April King, who is teaching uh, about CRT and how students really should be exposed to all of the aspects of race and, and the history of race in America and how it affects us now. So hang on to that. But before we, uh, before we move to that and Dr. King, we want to do some catching up. Now that we've got two weeks between uh, when we meet, there's always a lot to talk about. And so uh, where are we going in this first 15? Well, speaking of history, this is uh, this week marks the 50th anniversary of the drop of Maggot Brain. Uh, I don't remember when it dropped. I'm 54, but I'm gonna, I mean that's important for a couple of reasons. One, it said, I mean, I, I give my P funk salute. You know, that's that's my hello. But the, the importance of that that album and that song and that protest, you know, what they were talking about in the maggot infested brains of Americans. You know, just the the rotting in the culture and the way that we pursue so much of the the flesh, pleasures of the flesh, rather than advancing people's interests. How we're a country where we put property and riches above people's interests. And this was, you know, one of those early protest albums, one of the more important albums, just, you know, just one that the artist's ability to kick ass, I mean, Parliament Funkadelic, player to player, you know, from the, yeah, from Bootsy to Eddie Hazel to Bernie Worrell, that, you know, that's a, that's a band. But th- that aside, its influence on culture, on hip hop, on, you know, rock, soul, it changed the game. And so just a shout out to that, but, it, and connecting it to today, and just, you know, just the maggot brained city council. Oh, (laughs) you know, stuck and they're just rotten commitment to the way it used to be. You know, I was coming back to bring it back to that. But what's going on? I I was waiting. It was was a good good connect. Man, I I wasn't expecting that. So I got I got to kind of regroup here. But but thank you for that. (laughs) So what else is happening? Well, I think we've got um, some controversy going on now. Yeah, but it's funny because you mentioned music and um. It's to, to, today is the birthday. You mentioned, you know, Funkadelic. Today is the birthday of two really, really MCs, influential MCs. One, uh, MF Doom, who uh, who passed away recently, super influential underground uh, independent MC. And also today is the birthday of our very own Trouble NLS, you know, one yes, of my, my personal personal favorite MCs. Um, so uh, happy, happy birthday, Trouble. Uh, but yeah, I mean, where's it's a, it's a, it's always controversy. It's funny. I guess in, in, in Pittsburgh, and there has been this conversation around this American rescue money uh, that the city of Pittsburgh get. I think it's three hundred thirty-five million, and how to spend it. Um, and I know that there are folks that have been organizing around it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a shout out to Celeste Scott. I know she's somebody um, that's kind of reached out to us and, and, and doing some organizing around that issue. I um, mean, a lot of folks feel like that there hasn't been enough public um, discourse around how to spend the money. So they had a meeting yesterday and pretty much everybody that spoke basically said, you know, we need more public, you know, input on this around how to spend his money. So it was like, you know, city council and the mayor kind of got together. And then there's a question of should, you know, this process include 
you know, um, you know, uh, uh, this upcoming administration. You know, we 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 hope and believe it's going to be um, 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 Egani. But then there's a, there was another question of like, should this outgoing, you know, mayor decide what's going to happen as this money can can lay the blueprint for the next four years? And so I don't know if this. I think there's going to be another public meeting next Monday, mm-hmm. so folks can sign up to speak. Um, you know, this last one was on Zoom, so you didn't have to physically go down there. And so just encouraging folks to to basically, you know, share your voice. Um, and, and uh, you know, I know there was a call specifically for black speakers. You know, I got something from Tim Stevens that was specifically about, like, this money should be used to benefit Pittsburgh's most disenfranchised folks, which are black people in the black community. You know, we had Randall Taylor on. He said it all should go. <laughs> Randall was like, we should get all of it, uh, we, we know, which I don't have no issue with neither. But I do think our voices should be heard. And when yeah. you look at what, you know, how can we begin to transform the city that's the worst in America for black women and, you know, detrimental to black people in so many ways, can these resources be used to benefit our community? I guess that's is a question. Is, is there some reparations in that money? You know, because because Dr. Bay and I were just off a really interesting conversation before we came to this one about about how decisions are made, about, you know, people using money for communities without community input, how go behind the scenes. They they look at what what their data is telling them and then they want to roll it out and have a conversation about it and then feel hurt because they put all this time in to make these decisions. But folks are saying, is this for us? then why isn't it with us? And there is just this fear of, of not being in, t- in full agreement. We got to figure out how to, how to have conversations. Leaders have conversations, even when there's controversy, they shouldn't run and be afraid of it. And they end up with a better product in the end. And that's right. just all we keep asking people to do. Stop and, making decisions for us. And, and, and this, and this, I was going to say, and, and this just in, I'm, I'm just looking at this, on Twitter from Rich Lord, it said in 2020, the city of Pittsburgh's workforce began proportionately more male from 74 percent to 77 percent and more white from 75 percent to 77 percent than it was in 2009. So you ha- now have like the city of Pittsburgh's own workforce being almost 80 percent white male. Dang. That's a hell of a number. That's I mean, and that's a hell, like, what are you saying to us at that point? I mean, that's, that makes a hell of a statement. And, and, and what they're saying by their actions, and this is like just the entire city council, the entire process. I'm not including anybody in the discussion about how this is money is spent that I don't respect. And this mm. is what this is telling you. That these folks have their own agenda. And if you look at what they've proposed to the money, all of them, all nine. Bruce Krause has, I mean, he's so meek and feeble. He's not proposed anything for his district that is meaningful or transformative. Lavelle and Burgess, you know, doubling down on their agendas that they've already had to continue the displacement of black folks out of their communities. Uh, And the rest have been silent. And it's like, what, uh, what have you proposed that is actually going, this is a shot in the arm. This is a chance to do something different. And your commitment is to what you already were doing which was not working. Hazelwood at the last census was 48% black. It's now 30% black because of y'all's work pushing folks out of those communities. Look at the numbers that are happening in Homewood. Hey, people are getting pushed out and your, your plan is to invest in what you've already been doing where here's a chance to let's do something different. If, If you want to. We really need to organize heavily with these uh, next rounds of city council uh, folks, right? Who deserves this seat? And and I think it, you would think that after what we saw with these local elections, that folks would kind of see that we obviously want a different vision. We want a more progressive vision. Uh, we want somebody that's going to make you know necessary changes to make the city livable for everybody. I mean, that was the these were the predominant issues in the last election, right? Issues around making it livable for black people, you know, as, as it is for everybody around policing, around education. Like these were the principal issues. So it does seem strange that, you know, to me, this would be an opportunity, particularly for 
you know, uh, uh, Councilman Burgess and Lavelle to say, we're going to fight for black Pittsburgh to have to receive specific resources with this money. And kind of like you said, I haven't really seen that, you know, that now, now, you know, maybe there's something going on that I haven't seen, but I haven't seen that. And I think like, this is where we need folks to, to, this is kind of like, and it's it's something that you said, um, you talk, talk uh, oftentimes Dr. Bay about what leadership looks like. Mm. And, you know, leadership to me in a, in a, in a time like this looks like, I'm going to fight to make sure that some of these resources go and a proportionate amount go to black people in my community because of what we're owed and what we've lost. And I haven't really seen that. And, um, you know, that's something that we really need to see uh, from these leaders. That's what they say they're doing. They say this is a pro-black agenda that they're doing these things by following the models that have displaced people in every other city. And it's, oh, it, it's happening. It's happening everywhere because you're using the same blueprint, moron. I'm, I'm calling names today. But this is what they say. Oh, it's not just a Pittsburgh thing. It's happening everywhere. Well, do something different, fool. Right. All right, let's let's get off the subject. We're actually <laughs> calling real names. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We want to be inclusive, included in the conversation about what's best for Okay, next. Yes, yes. But I think it's also, it's interesting, um, um, Dr. Russell, because you also had a similar conversation around the, the, the possible Wilkinsburg-Pittsburgh merger. And that was a lot of folks in the community felt that it was a process that was rushed. And they felt like that what was needed was more of a community input um, in this process. And so I know that there was a question that it might be on the ballot, or or I guess folks were kind of pushing it to be on the ballot in November. Now it's not going to be on the ballot in November. So there is more time to hear folks' voices. And I think this is kind of what we've been pushing a lot of the the, the emerging Black-led political organizations is around like us getting real power community power, us making real policy decisions uh, and decisions that are going to affect our community. You're talking about Wilkinsburg, which is a primarily black neighborhood. How would this affect folks? How would it benefit folks? How would it be detrimental to folks? And, if we, can't, but, and, and, and if we can't properly explain that, you know what I'm saying, then it probably shouldn't be put up for a discussion. If it's going to be put up for discussion, what we have to do is have uh, principal conversations about how does this look, how will this either benefit people or how might it not benefit people. And so I'm glad that there's going to be more time for that because that's what we've really been advocating for, more community voices, more community input, more community power. Yeah, because if you start off with this is what I want to have at the end, then you fill in what you want to happen. So the process isn't open and, and you've set it up in ways that you get what you want. But real community processes don't do that. You, you, you put questions out. It reminded me a little bit, especially at the beginning of this show. Remember, our chats would be live and people were actually strategizing. And, and you saw that happening. And I, and I see online these conversations about Wilkinsburg where people are just bringing up some really, really good points. And, you know, they're, they're kind of disparate. Sometimes there's been some really good back and forth. But that's what it takes because you won't have a thousand folks going at your neck for the next five years because you made a decision that wasn't inclusive in, in the conversation. So why is that so hard? Across the board, it continues to be so hard for people just to open up and trust enough to have and trust that people are smart enough. Um, and part of that is if you're not part of the professional crew you know, of leadership, then nobody really wants to hear from you. Uh, but you're really impacting people who live and, and work and play and go to school in these communities. And that's who we want to hear from. So that's, you know, we just, we just got to figure it out. What, what else did we miss over the last couple of weeks that, that we need to talk about before we move into this uh, very light conversation on critical race theory? I, I mean, you know, my thing is, and this is maybe a question for Dr. Bay, and I know we have Ask a Black Doctor coming up this Thursday, but I, I'm getting nervous. I mean, I'm seeing these... COVID numbers go up again. I'm seeing like, um, you know, doctors talking about their, that's for your mother. I'm seeing doctors talking about their, um, their emergency rooms are being filled. 
again. Oh, yeah. And so Illinois um, is really in trouble right now. Illinois are, are we are we going to have to do something like? I mean, how are you seeing things, Doctor Bay? And where what should we be doing? Well, it it looks like uh, you know, considering the holiday weekend last week, we would start to see the noticeable spike if if there's to be a spike in these next couple of days. Okay. Um, you know, so it would have been, but we're, we're seeing an uptick. But you know, if you start watching the numbers for the rest of this week, they'll know whether we're spiked or not. But we still have, you know, very low vaccination rates in most black communities. Um, you know, the public health community, the medical community, uh, the pharmaceutical community have not done enough to earn the trust of our folks to get this vaccine. Um, you know, at scale, and I think you know, there's still a lot of vulnerability out here. And so considering that, if you're one of those folks, you know, we still should be wearing masks and social distancing. The virus, I mean, this, this Delta variant is dangerous, more so than the others. And so if you still decided, hey, I'm not doing it, cool, that's, you know, but wear a mask. And I don't see people wearing masks anymore. Because obviously most of those are being affected by the variant of people who have opted not to not right. to get a vaccination. And those people are ending up in hospitals and critically ill. And this thing is moving much faster than that, than the first round. So, I mean, we really need to, you know, I've, I was taking masks down for a little while, but you know, we, we are back to some of our earlier practices full tilt. Um, so, you know, we just, again, this show is not about to tell you what you have to do. That ain't our job, but it is our job to, uh, that we take seriously about sharing information that is critical to your health and well-being. And, Absolutely. you know, really starting to think about what you wear you were a year ago until this thing gets figured out. Heard a couple of people uh, that I know were in my social media uh, talked about some few folks who had gotten COVID post being vaccinated and um, at least two. So I don't, I don't think that's happening broadly, but, um, you know, usually they're, they're not being hospitalized if they get it. But I mean, it's possible. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. We're not we're not out yet. That's, right. like, that's, that's, that's what we're that's trying to say. That's evidence that the virus is still circulating. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you have a 80 to 90 percent protection of getting uh, of getting the virus when you have a vaccination, those are the numbers that you're looking at. But no severe, you know, very rare, if, if any, severe hospitalization issues uh, yeah. with folks who yeah. have been vaccinated. But, right. you know, yeah, it's not 100 percent immunity. But you, but you ain't, you ain't going to die and you probably won't be hospital. So that's that's a good thing. Right. So let's let's get to moving into our topic today. We have been hearing some of the craziest conversations about <laughs> critical race theory. We've got legislators banging on lecterns, talking about banning discussions <laughs> on diversity, equity and inclusion, race, period. They, they don't want to talk about slavery. They don't want to talk about anything that does not, that makes white people not look good. Uh, I, I just, you want, you can laugh almost to the extent in which how foolish it is until you realize they're trying to legislate white supremacy. And then it's, it just stops being funny. And then you've got people screaming about CRT. They don't even know what it is. So a little bit about me, my, my doctoral work was really based um, around critical race theory and black feminist theory. And so I had to go back and check myself like, oh, was that was what I do? Was what I was studying so controversial? Did I actually miss it? Because what I'm hearing reported on these news stations and with these legislators didn't look anything like what I've actually been been studying. And so we wanted to talk about it. We know this has been uh, whirling around your head on the news, but we wanted to bring somebody in that is working on this, that is working to teach about this in our schools. And we bought uh, an, an amazing person today, Dr. April King, who is with Raising Achievement in Mon- Monroeville and Pitt Karen. Uh, I think it's Ramp. Yeah. But she's also a, a teacher and has been teaching for a lot of years. And in particular, is going to be teaching about critical race theory in our schools. So we welcome you and we thank you for coming on with us. Hi, thank you. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? We can. We can. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, so why did you jump into this pool? Why why, why are you doing this? You know, it's controversial, but you're in there. Why are you doing it? You've really hit the nail on the head when you said that what you studied for your own work your own research for your your dissertation it doesn't look anything like what they are projecting 
And so at first I thought, you know, this is kind of sensical, nonsensical. Why, why would anyone do that? Until I realized, no, no, this has gotten to the point where it is now impacting the public school systems in different states around our country and has the potential to impact us here in Pennsylvania. So yeah. it's no longer funny. It's no longer nonsensical. It's like, wait a minute, are we seriously going back to Jim Crow policy? Are we really going there? Because I thought that was done. You know, so, um, yeah. What they're it's introducing, is ed- it's educational malpractice. That's what they're asking you to do. It, it's complete educational their, malpractice. What their idea of it is, is a perversion. It's, it's not what critical race theory is. So, so can you tell us, I mean, I, I kind of gave my summary, but, it, you know, it was, my summaries can be loaded. So I'm going to ask you to explain it a little bit. Uh, so it, it, in terms that everybody that may look at this will understand what critical race theory actually is. All right. So um, with any teacher who's had to review literature and theories that we had to learn to apply to our educational practice, Critical race theory, one of the newest theories, well, it's not that new, but in education, it is becoming um, more pronounced. And so as it comes in, we're looking at, okay, how does how does this body of literature that we're learning apply to today? So so critical race theory, it's it's just a, a perspective. It's a way of looking at race and racism as a part of our culture and how it impacts um, in, in critical race theory in the legal realm, it was about how is it impacting the different legal um, proceedings that, are, that impact you know, the outcome of different things that were being pushed there. But in education, we're looking at it, okay, how does this apply to how our students are um, experiencing school on a daily basis? And how does this, in, what are the, the outcomes that are impacted by the, the lack of being able to um, to, to meet the needs of our students through their background culture, engaging them in ways that recognize race in the forefront of our teaching and say, this is a way to engage our students to make them feel more inclusive, to make them mm-hmm. feel more valued, and to show them that they're a part of the fabric of American society and not just something that's not the norm. We'll talk about I, that. I don't know. We, we've been trying to, to change history real time from, you know, since the lost cause after the end of the Civil War. I mean, there's just this, this constant thing of, you know, uh, Confederate soldiers were really heroes and, you know, black folks were, you know, we we're trying to save them from themselves. I mean, and we are actually watching it real time now as we watch the Capitol get stormed and we're watching people try to tell that story as if what we saw wasn't true. And so I think when it gets to uh, teaching kids about race and really it's slavery, it's the slavery thing that is really making them crazy. They do not like how they come off in that whole thing. And so it's like if we don't talk about it or, or, or minimize it, then uh, then we're good. You got your, you got your Black History Month and two, two, you know, a day and a half, you know, three, three pages in the history book about slavery and keep it moving. So now with this kind of awakening and the blackening and browning of America, although it does not seem to be happening inside of Pittsburgh, um, there's just so much more conversation about it and is making a lot. Let's call it what it is. Older, black, older white men. Crazy. And they are just like losing it and shutting it down. So I know you were, like you said, you're, you're, you're kinder in how you explain it. But tell me, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to back up. What are you thinking, Dr. Bay, over there? Is this how you're seeing it? What, what is creating yeah, and, them? And I'm, la- I'm, I'm thinking it's, I mean, so slavery, okay, let's put a pin there. But let's also, let's look at, you know, fast forward. Look at the, um, the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. And the way that the GI Bill, you know, funded white folks' education and their housing in the suburbs, and then look at the redlining policies. So to say that these policies had, you know, were, were racialized in their uh, operations, in their applications, is now we're, we're you're with with these uh, bills that they're talking about. You're forbidden to talk about those things in, in the classroom now. That's critical race theory by uh, by describing those things as having an impact on today's outcomes. The war on poverty, the war on drugs, and its desperate impacts on Black folks. Wait, no, 
don't talk about that. That's critical race theory. This would be forbidden to discuss in any classroom or in any program that receives federal dollars. It, it goes even even further. Fools go through what they're trying to do. I'm going to stick with the maggot brains. <laughs> I would say it goes even further, Dr. Bay. I mean, you know, me and Dr. Russell were talking about how in Tennessee, uh, there was a book called Ruby Bridges Goes to School about, you know, this, 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 this young girl who desegregated schools. Uh, I believe it was in New Orleans. And they were saying, like, just this, this, just the description of the white people that were mad that she was going to their school was racist. That because she described them as being angry and, you know, not wanting her to be there, that that was detrimental to white students, young white students, to read about this book. And so to me, like, you know, talking about redlining and all that stuff, they're even saying, like, if you even this is just this is just black history. You know, this is that they're basically trying to really like legislate the teaching of black history. And really, in, 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 in Pennsylvania's law, it was race and gender. So then if you start talking about women's history in any way that might make a man feel uncomfortable, they're actually talking about in Pennsylvania's legislature that you will lose funding for this fiscal year and the next. And so what happens is <clears throat> now educators or, or, or administrators of these different institutions become scared. And they're like, you know, I, you know, I, I go to Penn State all the time. You know, in fact, you know, last time we was up there, you know, your son was with us, uh, uh, rode up with us uh, and made the trip with us, Dr. Bay. Um, but now a school like Penn State would would have to think twice <laughs> about bringing Jasiri X in one hood because I could say something that would make and I'm sure I would that might make some white students uncomfortable. And now they could lose their their state funding. Um, and so to me, this is really a, a straight up attack on black history. Do you see it like that, Dr. King? It is absolutely a straight up attack on black history. It is in and of itself racist. It's I mean, if you think about all the different, um, if you think about all of the different theories and things that we are taught as teachers and pre-service teachers in the classroom for what makes up good teaching, then, you know, this is just another one of those. And it happens to be a body of work highly contributed by people of color. And somehow only the body of work by people of color is the one that is under, you know, the gun here. So, um, yeah, I would, say, I would say the ban in and of itself of the ability to um, talk about race and how it impacts our students and and to, to actually help our kids to have a more well-rounded education and to help white middle-class mainstream kids actually have an appreciation of people who are not just white middle-class mainstream. I would say that that's racist. It goes back to like the Jim Crow laws of only whiteness is, is allowed and permitted here. And if anything else comes, we're going to punish you for that. That's, that's not good. Obviously. I, I heard a co uh, congressman talking about this the other day. And basically what he said was, we want to return to 1950s education of nationalism, patriotism. I mean, he, he all but said it just like I did. And that clearly, you know, we need to understand our history as it is the truth. And his truth was white people, you know, founded it. White people made it what it was. And all hell to white people. Let's talk about 1776 and all this other stuff. But the rest of that stuff is background noise that is going to confuse our tender white children. And they're not going to be good patriots and they're not going to understand how to be wonderful nationalists if, if we do anything else. And, and they, they somebody actually literally said something about the way it used to be in the 50s. What was I mean, I, and I, I think I look at it and I, I look at my own development and it's like when I began to read and study my own history is when I became socially conscious. And that's when I be, when I wanted to get involved in changing things. So to me, this is a direct result of what we saw happen in 2020. But we saw not only did we see a lot of, you know, not only black people, but all a lot of people and in, indigenous people, brown folks, white folks in the street, you know, protesting, wanting real change. We saw folks for the first time because of the, the disproportional impact on COVID in our community and the protests talk very succinctly about white supremacy, about systemic racism, 
And then we saw, you know, uh, black folks, brown folks, um, indigenous folks, marginalized folks go to the polls in that same year in 2020 um, in this historic election and, 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 and win the election for Biden. Not only that, but, you know, win the Senate back for the Democrats. So to me, this is a direct, you know, this is people who are looking and saying, uh oh, they got too much education. Right, they know too much. You know, we've been having we conversations get dumb like the Trump followers. We we need yeah. to be as dumb as these folks over here. So if you're gonna keep teaching it, what yes. we gonna do is punish you <laughs> with money so you can be as dumb as Trump followers. And, yeah, and, then, and so they're trying to legislate idiocy. Yeah, right. Then you could be manipulated. You know, there was a book yes. I, I forget when it came out. It came out like maybe like ten years ago called The Dumbing Down of America. And so it's like you can be manipulated if you don't know. And they can just kind of sell you lies. You know, they can say, like, George Washington never told a lie. And they can say, like, you know, uh, that, that they fought the Civil War because they wanted to free the slaves. Like, they can sell you these lies. And the thing is, it's like, rights. Right, rights. right. Basically, they're saying, these people are saying, we want the lies back in education. And okay. we want folks to believe that, like, you know, it was just a guy. And it was like this, you know, kind of controversial, but he was on some. Um, morning talk show, and he was talking about the actual history of Haiti. And he was talking about France bankrupting Haiti and making Haiti pay reparations after Haiti became free. And the, and the, and the, and the people on the show, like the white hosts, were, they were in shock. They were like, wait, what did you say? This really happened? I can't believe it. And he's just sharing just a small portion of history. And so now if we begin to know all of this, we act different. We think different. We organize different. We begin to take power. And so where do you start? You start with these children. You can't have these white children actually knowing what their ancestors really did to get this country. You can't have them knowing about their ancestors giving uh, uh, smallpox blankets to indigenous people and slaughtering and, 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 and um, scalping indigenous. You can't have them know the real history. You got to. They, so they want to go back to how it was. Which was a lot. Where white women what were heroes, and so I mean, I, I was this last weekend, and I and I talked to you guys about it a little bit. Discovered some history in my own family, and I'm reading this thing where my great grandfather was talking about his dad, who was born in 1945, and how he they they had them walking from Kentucky to Mississippi because hey, tobacco wasn't selling us the way cotton was, so let's move this kid to Mississippi. And he talks about him being on an auction block in Columbus, Mississippi, being sold for eight hundred dollars. This is a reality. We were the engines of the economy, and they didn't think anything about taking this, this child from his family and selling him for eight hundred bucks, and, and 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 you know working him until you know he was freed at, at, at twenty one. Uh, and so it just makes them. You don't look like a hero when you were a slave owner when you use human beings' bodies in order to build economy and build a country. And so it's it's the, it's a whitewashing at a level. I don't know. I can't say I saw it coming at this level. Trump just set that fire, man, and it is just burning out of control. And and now they realize logic is not necessary. You just mandate something, and it doesn't have to make sense. And you can get you can get Republicans to vote for it, and you can change laws. And they're like, we're sitting in the seat. We don't care what you think. Y'all are pretty I like fired to talk up about today. The, the hypocrisy of <laughs> it, if you don't mind. Please. The hypocrisy of it is is that the very things that they're claiming are wrong with what's going on in schools are the very reasons why we need critical race theory to continue underlying what we're doing because of the kids who are already feeling bad, the kids who are already excluded from the curriculum, the kids who are already impacted by not being able to be engaged through their own lived experiences. So everything that they're claiming would be bad for their kids is already what's already being done for students of color. So it's it's almost like years. A, right. So um, you know, and and the the implications. I would like to explain what this looks like in in the classroom in the schools for a moment. Great. Um, so so you may be teaching um, a class, and you know you're heavily related relying on the teacher materials, which are often out of places like Texas, who purposely leave out things like that. And so the students have these textbooks, and they're reading. And let's take something like um, Independence Day, for example. Let's say you have black and brown students in the class. You want to celebrate Independence Day. But for those sitting in the class, they're like, well, for who? 
you, you know, if you're going to celebrate it, you have to celebrate when I got, when we got our independence. You can't just say that that's the independence for everyone. That's not true. Likewise, with, with Columbus Day, you can't, you know, have, have a celebration of Columbus Day. You got kids who are, or are, have background of Native Americans in their class, and you're sitting there, real raw, raw, all about Columbus Day. And meanwhile, someone who has Native American in their background, a lot of us do, will say, wait a minute. How about the genocide that happened because of, of this thing you're celebrating? The people who have lost their, their languages, they've lost their traditions, their customs. They were put inside schools that were, where they were made to speak English, dress English. They, had to, they lost who they were. That is what you call harm to kids. That is harm to kids. And that's where we're headed with critical race theory because if you ban it, you're continuing to harm kids by not including them. Enforcing, if there's any indoctrination going on, it's that which has been happening already for years. It's that the right, well, black I, and brown children are in the classroom and the, t- the teachers, if they're teaching in a way that doesn't include the kids, those black and brown kids are also feeling left out. You know, their, yeah. their backgrounds aren't valued or they're not tapped into or God forbid they lead to some people who kids who might have like an attitude because they're being left out. And now let's contribute to the the the, the um, school to prison pipeline because right. these students aren't, who aren't being respected and engaged are upset about it. But so, it, I mean, it there shows are huge like to removing this from the schools. And when I say removing this, I want to be clear. I don't know any school district in any classroom who is teaching this book. I don't know anybody who has this book and is no. saying, I want to teach you about Derek Bell and um, Patty Davis and uh, Richard and uh, Delgado and, and Stefancic. There, there's nobody in there teaching their kids that. But what we are saying is the theory that underlines that, that says we need to remember race when we're planning events. We need to remember race when we're planning curriculum. We need to remember race when we're teaching our kids. And most teachers are white middle class, so we have to remember that maybe I have to know something other than white middle class to reach the students in my class who are not white middle class. That's what critical race okay. does, is it says don't forget to look through that lens or you're going to forget these students. Yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I think they they don't care about black and brown. I mean, I think it's clear. It's like, one, they don't care about black and brown students or our history. Um, and, 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 and I think their thinking is they want us to, like, assimilate. This is their thinking, right? You want us to, you want us to come over here, but you want us to assimilate. You want us to talk about how great America is and I love America and America is the greatest country on earth. And that's what you want to do. You don't want us to have any type of critiques about how America came to existence and that real history. And I, you know, it's interesting because we're doing a project right now about education uh, with the organization called allies for children. And we're, we interview primarily, you know, black and Brown students. And one of the main issues that they had was the lack of culturally competent um, curriculum in the schools that they barely talk about stuff during black history month that there's barely any conversation about currently wasn't very a lot of conversation about a protest or even what was happening currently um, in, in, in this country um, or even like real relevant uh, um, history happening in the school. So here were high school students saying, we want this, you know, we want, to be able to have these discussions. We want to be able to bring that into school, but the school's saying no. And so now you're making it even even worse, <laughs> I guess. And you don't want and, and so and so it's like, do we do we have to start having like you know, whether it be like book clubs or like you know, school after school type of things, or are we should we be building it won't our be own the first schools? It won't be the first time, Jasiri, that we have had to take control of our own education. I mean, and, and, and even in, in this in this historical stuff I was looking at, my grandfather, he was talking about how, and this was in the, in the late 80, 1880s, how they gathered books from wherever they could to teach themselves what they needed to know because of how they had been shut out of educational systems. I think about when we took 10 kids from the Hill District to Ireland. We went up to Northern Ireland and we were in Belfast and all over the walls of the the Catholic folks that had pictures of all the black civil rights leaders and they knew their histories. They knew how they worked. They knew everything about the struggle and the black kids that we bought there. 
didn't know who half those children, who half those leaders were. They didn't know anything about their stories. And, and these white, freckle-faced, little redhead Irish students understood black civil rights better than our own children did because our kids were not being taught about it in their, in their own schools. And they were all kind of shocked. And they, they, they knew at that point what they missed out on in their own history. And so we're talking about taking this up to a whole nother level. And so the other thing I want to I want to talk about a little bit is how do we hold schools? I mean, our educational systems accountable from from the from the high schools to the grade schools to to the, those teaching teachers at Pitt, at, at Carnegie Mellon. At I mean, how how are we holding them accountable to not allowing themselves to be censored and saying to the state legislator, go to hell? We're going to teach what we know to be right. You can't defund all of us. You know what we're going to have three white academies around here. And, and you know, they can't defund everybody. And I'm going to be let's, disgusted if they fall for this crap. Let's um, let, let's not go in too deep because I mean, let's look at the big picture game here. This really is, as just seriously, this has nothing to do with the kids. They don't give a damn about the kids. It's right. about that. This is a unite the right, unite the right rally tool. This is, we want to scare you. Look, they're coming after your babies to teach them this shit. This is what they're trying to do. And so those, that, 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 those other folks who was like, yeah, Trump's a little bit, those folks, those white men who voted for Biden this time, this is to pull them back to that side. That's what this mm-hmm. is. This is not, a, they don't give a damn about kids. They don't give a damn about public education. If they did, this would not be the system or structure that they have. But having said that, there are implications for the classroom. But that's their big picture. Steve Bannon, you know, that clown has no, yeah, this is all collateral damage to him and what he's trying to do. They got to be cracking up. Y'all, let's get back to this. It was one who gave this information to Fox News and Fox News planted this. Wow. Is it her audio or mine? It is breaking up. I can't hear you. Yeah, I think, I think you're, suddenly, you're breaking up, Dr. Russell. You, you're kind of breaking up. Okay. I'm going to go down and come back up. Okay. Did you want to start over? We get, we got you now. You have me now? Yes. Yep. It's weird. It, it's just periodically going out. What I was saying is this one guy, and I'll say it fast, started this entire controversy. And when Fox News let it go, we've had all these people, including some black men on the right, who are saying that we're teaching racism in our schools. So how are you? Tell to us a little bit, Dr. King, about what you want to teach to parents and teachers about CRT. What's your approach? So um, actually, in in the next month, um, you mentioned that I'm with Raising Achievement Monroe and Picard, and it is a, a nonprofit and so um, we're actually holding an event to inform and educate the community on what critical race theory is and how what it is, what it is and what it isn't and how it applies to what our students need to have in their in their learning experiences in the classroom. Um, we know that many districts are implementing culturally responsive um, trainings and things like that in, in their schools and schools. So we want parents to to see, okay, whatever it is you you think or you may not know or whatever about critical race theory, let's take a look at what it is and what it's not. And then this is how it applies to how teachers are actually working with the kids in the classroom. You will not see students belittled because of their race. You will see students who are uplifted and and are learning that our, our students have heritage that has helped build this country equally and that we learn from each other and that if we can have our students to to see and feel themselves in the in the mirror of their their learning environment then they're going to feel more empowered they're going to feel more included um and let's let's not forget this this was something that i had actually encountered when i was in school the idea of acting white that if you're some, if you're smart, somehow you're acting white. Well, that's because they haven't been taught that if you're smart, you're also acting black. And here are the people who've done it. This is what they've built, and this is what what you can do too. They have to see and hear that. Likewise, students learn racism for the through the lack of inclusion. 
So if everything is sort of through that lens of white middle class, which is what the opponents of critical race theory would like, then the students of color will end up being hurt. They already yeah. have been hurt, and we're trying to correct that with culturally responsive practices. Hope Oof. that answers your question. It does. I mean, you're taking on a lot. This is, um, you know, I, I commend you for, for, for doing this because, again, you know, some of us are just like, so fed up with, with how crazy the conversations are, but, and, and, and you're just tired of teaching uh, things that seem so obviously twisted that you, you just get exhausted and, and doing this. And so how do you think this could potentially, you know, it, it's great to give people an understanding, but how is that really going to impact what, um, or do you think it will impact the legislature's, legislature's kind of behaviors or is this something you're just well, trying to do on a local level to make sure people understand what's happening? No, no. Uh, I think through educating the community, you're empowering, we're empowering our community to be able to speak, you know, competently about this, unlike others, to speak edu with an education about this and be able to reach out to their legislators, be able to reach out to those who would be um, putting these policies in place and saying, hey, I think you're wrong about why you, you know, you would want to put this in, in uh, as a ban. And I think that it would harm a whole lot of kids. And I think if you understood that, this is what I learned about critical race theory. This is what's being done in schools. This is not what's being done in schools. Then you would see that that, you know, honestly, it has huge implications for a country in so many different ways, in so many different ways. If we want to make sure that all of the students, not just white, but black and brown students as well, are not just simply functional in society, but rather competing globally with other countries who have also high levels mm. of expectation achievement, then the last thing that you wanna do is find a way to oppress the students who are becoming the majority of this country in a way that would impact their education. So, I mean, what, what are they teaching our kids? I mean, I, my uh, mine just graduated, be going to college, but Jasiri, you you still uh, you still got some young ones, and I mean, this is this is straight impacting these kids that you have in public school systems if they're allowed to get away with this. I mean, I know you're going to teach them on the side about the truth, and that's for sure. Right. All of us do that, but you know, we, we may be looking at a plan B on how to educate yeah, I mean, our kids. And my son is at Urban Academy and they are specifically, you know, they have Malcolm X birthday off. Like they, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're a school that's like, you know, that the art history was built in. And that was one of the reasons why we chose Urban Academy because of that commitment to teaching us about our culture and our history. Um, there is a question. Um, and I, I did want to bring this to you, Dr. King. Um, and, um, uh, 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 Ryan Brown asked a question. He says, um, like, is there a way to bridge the gap between black parents who want, you know, critical race theory type of, because it's not really critical. This is, I'll say black history taught in school and, 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 and parents who prefer that not be taught. Is there some way like, you know, because I think this is kind of, you know, it's like the further divisiveness that's happening in this country. Is there a way to kind of have, a, to, a bridge. I, I mean, I, I, I would say probably not, but I'm asking you as an educator, Dr. King, that, you know, to say, okay, you know, like, how are you, have you talked to white parents that when they hear critical race theory, all they recognize is Fox News is, you know, thousands of attacks on it every hour and get scared. Have you en encountered those parents? And what are you saying to them? Well, I haven't had someone say, I don't want you to teach critical race theory. I have heard people say that they felt that um, there was, there's no, race has no business being discussed in schools. And, and they felt like, why, why should my, my kid, you know, be, um, you know, exposed to this? So, you know. To reality? Why should my child know reality? I'm sorry. <laughs> you know. What does that mean? Get my head around it. What does that mean? Not exposed to it. racism is woven into the American flag. How? I, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be difficult, but what I don't it, know what that what means. It, 
it shows a lack of intolerance. It shows a lack of respect for those that are not, you know, like ourselves. And I, I think that a good quality trait for families, um, something that they should embrace, is getting to know each other. If there's one thing that's divisive, it's forcing a country to learn about one specific aspect of its country mm-hmm. and leaving out all the others. That's what's divisive. Uh, critically, critical yes. race theory informs teaching, such as uh, culturally responsive teaching, embraces everybody's contributions. The only reason I can think you would want to delete somebody's contributions from our society is racism. You know, that's the only thing I can think of. If you don't want people to know about people that don't look like you, then you have a superior attitude. Then you think that yours is best. All the things that they're putting in their bands for why you shouldn't have critical race theory taught in school are all the very reasons why it needs to be taught in school because it's already being done. Dr. King, so your, to answer your, your question for, for sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I said your, your point, I mean, that especially, especially in a country like the United States that is made up from people from all over. This is not like Korea, where most of the people are Korean for the last thousand years or Japan or Ethiopia. You know, this is a country that is made up of people from all over the world, forced here, invited as indentured captured, you know, people who were populated and, you know, murdered, and a lot of different white folks who came here. It, Yeah, it's an ugly history. And for you to try to distill it to one clean, pristine version, you know, who are you lying to? And and why do you want to live in that la-la-la? I think it says but a lot about it, a person. Right. Who would want yeah. something like it really says more about them than us. But then again, to me, you know, they're, they're pouring all this water into into a can with holes in it. I mean, you can't really do what they're trying to do. You can legislate it and everything else, but it's not like people are going to stop talking about it or that the, the history. I mean, their people will be exposed to it maybe for a while and be less comfortable. But you can't just walk through the streets of America now and ignore black and brown people are the numbers are the realities, are their histories. You can you can oppress it as much as you can, but they can't win this war. They, they didn't they win the first that. one. They know that and that's not their intention. Their intention is to make sure that every white person is on the same, you know, that they can convince them all to be on the same page. Can they? they yeah, can do I that. do think they're trying, they are trying to convince all all stu- all people in our country that are white and who have children in the education systems, if they can convince them that their child is somehow being harmed by this, then they will succeed in getting it banned. And not just that, if they do ban it, I think you all know from past history, laws aren't always written for the people who control the laws. So all you need is a law written. And if you want to uh, control people, you enforce the law only on those people. So right now you're looking at tech, Texas banned. You're looking at uh, Idaho banned. I'm sorry, but if I'm a teacher or Texas or Idaho and I want to keep my job because I do want my family to have food on the table and I do want my family to have shelter over their head, I might be thinking twice about how to do this. And even if I think the way I'm doing it is right, all they have to do is misinterpret it. That's all, all they have to do is misinterpret it just like they're doing now and then and then they are able to do what they want to do with you. You're, you're out of a job and their kids are not learning that. So I would be I would be cautious about saying that this isn't going to impact us. It absolutely is going to impact us. It's going to give them an ability to control what's being done in schools. And it's going to undermine our, you know, black and brown children's ability to get an adequate and appropriate and equitable education. Yeah. So I, I mean, when, when we, when we were at Penn State and we organized how at a school like Penn State can you get a black homecoming king and queen? Because every single black person voted for that one and the white folks voted for their favorite people. And so this is the flip of that. As they become a minority, they need to get on the same page. They need to tighten the ranks and get everybody focusing on their agenda. That's what this game is about. And so we'll scare the hell out of you. We'll lie the truth. The truth has nothing to do with these folks. They don't dwell in that business. They don't dwell in the principles of democracy. They've shown that as they attempt to repress votes and keep people silent. 
That's not their agenda. Their agenda is power and control by any means necessary. They will lie, they will kill, they will steal, as they've always done. That's their history. Yeah, I keep I, thinking I, that we're modernizing, and, and so I think it's still shocking to the system, uh, the tactics that have gone on in the last four years in particular. But, I mean, now that we know, we, can, we too can't be naive about the level that, that, that people are really, the stakes and, and how high they're, they're willing to raise them in order to maintain power. And it becomes downright dangerous. It's, it's not only the, the miseducation of, of students, but it is the threats of violence. It is, a, you know, there there is just I mean, I, I looked at a white teacher the other day, a white man who I t- thought was a very he was teaching a class on and he was talking about slavery. And he made one child in that class uncomfortable who went home and told his mother. And the next thing we know, the school board fired him. And there are all this protests at a school by black and white parents about this. But at this point, they're just like, we told you, don't talk about this. So, I mean, that is going to start happening uh, based on what you said, Dr. King, around money. Um, but we need to start challenging funders and other people who need to begin. We all as a community need to be thinking about plan B around how we educate, not only just educate, raise the bar on the level of education around things that involve CRT. So and start to teach it earlier because I didn't even see it until until college. I didn't know anything about the concept, but until I even went to college. But now I want to teach kindergartners. <laughs> May I share this? Um, in the grand scheme of things, when we look at the impact on our students, we have to also look at the fact that the majority of teachers in the classroom are not people of color, and that. We need to know that there are many of them who want to do good by our kids. They want to do right by them. They want to find ways to better meet them. They have seen what it's like when they don't understand material, and they want to find better ways to to meet and reach those kids. And these are teachers who are white. So I think one thing that we also need to consider, even just it's so hard, it's easy to say they. We don't like it when they say that about us. It's easy to say they, but there are people who are white that are critical of critical race theory. And there are people who are white who are pro critical race theory, as as you can see from the the union, the National Education Association backing it. The American Federation of Teachers are backing it. They are both saying that we will um, defend our teachers, black or white, brown or otherwise. They will defend our teachers for teaching the truth. So um, I just wanted to put that out there because there are so many advocates out there and we do need to allow them to work with us and work together because they do control the body of education in America. I couldn't agree more. And, and they need to move from advocacy to abolitionist behavior in terms of, of what they do. And, you know, and I appreciate it. I mean, I'm looking in at, um, you know, a, a friend of ours together, uh, Janet, who is in the is in the comments right now, who is, you know, is a white woman who is teaching and, and working with you, I know, on some multicultural educational efforts in, in Monroeville. So there are strong voices. We just people, we just, fear is the enemy here. You know, when all this happens, when we get scared to do what we know is right, they win, whoever the day is. Those, and the day in this case is the people we're trying to pull this crap off right now. And so, you know, we've got to figure out a way to work through these fears. Um, I know we're closing in on three o'clock. Uh, we, we usually do a wrap. There's some last words. Anything you wanted to share uh, with us, Dr. King, you've been phenomenal and, and really, you know, expressing this, getting a, a, a good understanding, helping us get a, our audience to have a good understanding of the challenge here. And, you know, I, just, I want to thank you before you even say your last word for being able to do that so clearly and, and with such relevance. So I appreciate that. Anything you want to add as a kind of a last wrap up on this topic? There is. Um, I want to share with our uh, your listeners that the bans on critical race theory are imminent. They are imminent. As long as there is a Republican controlled uh, political base for it, they are being banned in these Republican states and they are already being proposed. It's been proposed in the state of Pennsylvania. This is here. This is now and it. We need to advocate for it. So we can't just sit back and watch the TV and watch the news and watch people debate. We have to get out there, raise our voices to our governor, to our uh, mayor, 
mayors across uh, across Pennsylvania. We need to be in front of school boards, letting them know that it was this would not be acceptable for them to have this removed from the class. We need to let them know that we will fight hand, tooth, and nail for our kids to be treated equitably, and that banning critical race theory and anything that would be found um, uh, that would be informed by it is hurting our kids. That message needs to come out clear and concise and loud. Dr. Absolutely. King, can you can you tell us what ramp is? We didn't even give you that chance. We jump right in. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, in answering Jasiri's question earlier, how how would you get communities? How do you get people to? Um, I, I don't remember your exact question, but what what I did is I, I reached out to some mentors who told me, you know, the community has to be informed in this, and the way to do that is to communicate to them. So RAMP came about as an effort to communicate the community on the implications of the racial achievement gap, um, other subgroup uh, achievement gaps, and which we now learn that the term is truly opportunity gaps. And um, so RAMP is a, a, is a medium for doing that. We're a nonprofit. We're about 15 people right now that either live or work in the community or have children in the district. And we're, um, we're working together in advocacy. We have provided tutoring. We've provided incentives um, because we want to make sure that we are a voice that's being heard. So, you know, if there are any advocacy groups out there, any organizations, do that. Get in front of the school board, work with them, let them know that your voice is to be heard, not to be silenced. Absolutely. So that's who we are. All right. <laughs> <laughs> doing good work, doing excellent work. So uh, I know you have an online presence as well. If anybody wants to to look up your your nonprofit, uh, please go out there and look at, at raising achievement in Monroeville and Pickering. You you've uh, you, you make it clear what what your work is, and it is is worthy to go in and dig and see if people can help and volunteer, and you're and you're getting it done. All right, gentlemen. Anything that any last words? Anything coming up that people need to know about before we uh, drop the curtains on this for two weeks? Oh, I wanted to know, go ahead. No, Cheryl, go ahead, Doctor Beck. So I wanted to know that Cheryl, you had you know, you were both very passionate today, but I know Cheryl dropped two new hashtags or taglines: educational malpractice was a good one, and legislated idiocy. I caught both of those. I said, I will be incorporating those into, <laughs> into the language. What are we uh, coming up? There, there's, um, I mean, I said, right now the push is to get your voices heard in this, uh, this uh, American Recovery Act money. And it's not just the city of Pittsburgh. The county has another 300 plus million dollars. Every municipality, every school district has some money coming. And, you know, like you said, they're going to put the, they're going to make the same mistakes and do the same kind of things that they wanted to do, or they're going to let you uh, have a voice here. As Dr. King was saying, don't be silent. This, you know, take, get up, get out and do something. So that's our work this week, just, you know, getting folks out and getting them in the face of these people who are trying to make these decisions without including us. All right. Jasiri, anything, you. any wrap for thank you? you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, April. Um, we have, um, um, you know, this week in White Supremacy, tomorrow's been a lot. It was uh, one of the most epic Karen meltdowns. I don't know if y'all saw it. Just a, a lot happening. You know, um, you know, what England, the soccer stuff. I mean, we got, we got so much, oh, so much going on. Um, so tune in to that. That's tomorrow at 6. Ask a Black Doctor is this week. Um, it'll be Thursday at seven. We will have, you know, we're going to be talking about the Delta variant. We'll be talking about, um, you know, going back to school. Should you get your kids, your children vaccinated? You know, uh, what does that mean? And so if you have any questions, you know, and that's, I think that particularly folks that are, you know, maybe you, you want to know, you're not sure, um, come and ask the doctors, you know, um, I, you know, and that, that's kind of why we wanted that form. So that's Thursday at seven. Also just wanted to shout out one, you know, YBMKQ celebrated their fifth anniversary this weekend, Young Black Motivated Kings and Queens. It was a really great turnout. Everybody enjoyed it. So shout out to, you know, young people really, you know, leading the way. Um, and then also want to acknowledge yesterday should have been the 21st anniversary of Antoine Rose II. Uh, you know, we had a we had a celebration for him. Um, just, you know, keep, you know, Michelle and his mom 
uh, uh, Kyra, sister, and his whole family, just in your prayers and your thoughts, um, you know, understanding it's, it's a very difficult time for them. Um, and let's let's hold them, you know, and, sh- and show them as much love as we can. Send a love their way for sure. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for, for your wrap up words. We've got call to actions. We've got call to prayer and support for those people that we love who are, who are continue to go through it in our city. So uh, we will see you guys again in two weeks for what Black Pittsburgh needs to know. Bring in another topic that we have to talk about, but we'll let you know soon what that is. And hopefully you'll come back and continue the conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Peace. Thank you. Welcome to America's most livable city. Please ignore the invisibles with me. See Pittsburgh, we built this economy, but we still need the nation in black poverty. Welcome to America's most livable city. Just ignore the invisibles with me. State your business, because here, the place you live in depends on your race and privilege.